Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Technique, the podcast where artists talk about how technology is affecting them and their practice. I'm Sam Fry and today we're going to be looking at interactive plays. Specifically, I'm going to be interviewing Seth Kriebel, the inventor and creator of the Choose Your Own Adventure style play, A House Repeated. And I've called it a play, but actually there was a question about, is it even a play? Maybe it's more of a game or some other experience. Here's Seth talking about that subject. I think of it as as something between some sort of game performance. It's not really a game because you can't win. Uh, The upside of that is you also can't lose. But it it feels like a game. Mm. Um, And the audience is very very participatory. So, again, it feels like a game in that everyone's sort of working together. The, The audience isn't... Uh, sitting back in the dark, listening to actors deliver their lines, and uh, I mean, no audience is entirely ever passive because you have laughs and uh, gasps, and you feel the, the energy in the room. But uh, for this, they really are actively participating. We can't do it alone. This interview was actually originally recorded in October 2015. Both myself and Seth were huddled around a small laptop in a big space in the Battersea Arts Centre at the time. The show itself involves an audience of around 50 being split into two and they compete against each other to navigate their way around a completely unknown space. I'm sure Seth can explain it better than I can. The show is based on a smaller show that I've been doing for about five years called The Unbuilt Room. Mm -hmm. And that is the first two-thirds of the show that you experienced tonight. The, the sort of game part uh, that comes directly from the unbuilt room and that is all based on the old text adventure computer games from yeah. the late 70s early 80s where I describe a place and uh, and then an audience member will you know, I'll ask what do you want to do and an audience member will say go north get torch that sort of thing and then I'll move to the next person and describe the consequence of that action so then the audience explores uh, an imaginary world. The whole time, as you saw, uh, you're just sitting in your seats. We're never getting up and going anywhere. There are no props. There's no lighting changes or sound effects or anything. It's all just we tell you the environment and you interact with that. So that, the Unbuilt Room, that game uh, was just for six people at a time, 20 minutes long. And this show, A House Repeated, came out of attempts, a series of experiments to expand the unbuilt room to a larger audience, to Mm -hmm. to expand that interactivity to a bigger group. So tonight, I think we had about 50 people in here. Yeah. And it's divided into two teams now, and there's another performer, and I have my team, and she has her team, and, and the two teams are looking at each other, and you're each, in turn, moving through an imaginary world, and sometimes those worlds are the same and intersect, and sometimes they're different. And that, uh, that's all still very based on those old uh, uh, interactive fiction, text adventure, computer games. That's basically where the idea came from. So here's where I should come clean. A few years ago, back in 2013, I tried creating my own interactive story. 
It was a story created for a machine called the Choosertron, which had been developed in the States. The Choosertron is an interactive fiction arcade machine which prints out receipt-based stories. However, I found the whole process incredibly hard. First of all, you have to choose the topic. I decided initially that I was going to do a detective story, a bit like a Sherlock Holmes. But actually, those stories tend to have very long, complicated narratives. So I thought, actually, that's probably not the best story to start off the bat. Instead, I went for a pretty basic superhero premise. Then there's the whole mathematics of actually writing a story. For me, I ended up having to lay out different pieces of paper on the floor just so I could make sense of where one decision would lead to. Then, even once you've got the story set, the Choosertron actually let you have a scoring system. So, whoever read your story would get a different score based on the outcome of their choices. In summary, writing choose-your-own-adventure stories is incredibly hard. And the ones that I tried writing were just for a written piece of paper. They weren't in front of a live audience who were given complete freedom about their choices. Seth seemed to share my opinion. When you were talking about yours and how there's yes-no questions. Yeah. And now that's very different from a, uh, an open-ended thing. Mm. So if we go back to my childhood in the, in, in the early 80s... Um, you, so you had the text adventure computer games yep. where you could type in anything, but only certain things would advance the narrative, would, you know, get, move you along. And that's what this show is like. Yeah. Uh, but then you also had your, the, the old choose your own adventure books. Yeah. Go in the cave, turn to page seven, go up the stairs, turn to page ten. And that is bi- uh, a binary Give yourself goosebumps short. was the one that would, I, oh, I, I used to. I don't remember that one. I, <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I used to. Yeah. Maybe we had different ones in America. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yes, but the, the, so the choices are very, very limited. You could do A or B. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a C if you really push the boat out. You know? um, so that is a really different story. So it's quite clear that Seth is interested in making those text adventure computer games come to life in the theatre. Whereas what I was really doing was more of a choose-your-own-adventure story. They're quite different formats, but if you are interested in writing a choose-your-own-adventure story, Seth has some advice for you. Google Twine, it's a... uh, that sort of game maker, an interactive fiction game maker. Right. Um, I think the new version is all web-based. The old one you could download and, and use. But it's great. It's great. Uh, you just super simple text editor, and you just type up what you want, and you highlight phrases or words, and then link them to the, you know, go in the cave, and, and then when someone reads it, they just click on that, and it takes them to the next bit of text. Yeah. And you see it all laid out, little squares with lines between them, so you can see your whole map laid out. So you wouldn't have your papers on the floor anymore. You could just do it in Twine. Mm. And there's a thriving community of people who write Twines. And uh, there's a, an interactive fiction competition, I think. Um, there are probably several. Uh, and I, I, I like that stuff, but I don't get super involved. And I don't usually write them for fun. This game just came out of this one idea of what if we did one of those old text adventure games, the more open-ended thing, and made it live. How would that work? And this is one way it works. Um, So what's the structure behind this? How does Seth actually keep an audience engaged and willing to explore further throughout the performance? I've come up with, over the years, a sort of basic format. Mm. There should be 
for a game that is X long, it should have Y rooms, and each room has a particular function. You know, the early rooms are educational. You learn how to move. You learn you can interact with the world. You learn you can pick things up as you go along. Then you have a certain sort of obstacle, and then you have another kind of barrier, and the solution to barrier one is hidden behind barrier two. Those sorts yeah. of things. So there's, I'm sure there's a zillion ways to do it. I've sort of settled on a, a sort of basic format, which is a little bit flexible, that works for the live moment, the live performance. And I have made a twine of uh, the non-sighted version of the unbuilt room. And it is really boring to play. Yeah. Because when you see the stuff written down, yeah. well, it's not that hard. It's just not that difficult. Mm. But when you're sitting in a room and someone is saying it at you... You can miss it. Yeah, you can only take in a certain amount of information uh so it's very it's a very very different experience to do this stuff live than it is to do this stuff written so i take that basic model that i've refined over the years and then apply it to new situations so if someone says "Ooh, would you do an unbuilt room of you know our building great and then you spend some time researching the building and looking at the blueprints and talking to people who work there and finding out about it all and then there's this process of sort of twisting the the model to fit the building and the building to fit the model and to find this happy medium so that the audience can have that experience of walking through the actual building, sitting down with me, and then in their minds walking through the building. But it's different now because now we're in the, the realm of imagination and anything can happen. And inside that closet, instead of just being storage, there's a secret staircase to the yeah. underground train or whatever. And then the game finishes and they stand up and they walk back out through the real building and they so their experiences from the game are now overlaid in this real space. And they think, ooh, last time I was here, it was full of monkeys. Or, or I know in that closet, there's a secret staircase down to wherever. Um, these, when you play those games or if you read those books, a lot of time they're pitched towards children. Yes. And so one of the interesting experiences that uh, I was talking with Olivia, who, who works here, um, about was... Um, the idea with in those first few questions, the audience is trying to settle into actually how do you imagine this and how do you how do you explore and um, because they're not necessary traits that adults have in their kind of day to day experiences. How how do you find find that as a as a dynamic as well? Do you find you having, yourself having to weave your your audience through? No, they, they come along pretty quickly once you give them, uh, for lack of a better word, once you give them permission. Once you let them know that well, for the next 20 minutes for the small show or the hour for this show, we're going to be doing this. Mm. And it's, it's fine. Nobody's watching. Nobody's making fun of you. Nobody's, you know, that's what we're going to do. And we're, we're going to have some fun. And as soon as you give them permission gently, you don't throw them in the deep end and just kind of throw a puzzle at them and say, now what? And they go, I <laughs> yeah. don't know. But you, you, you very gently walk them in and step them in. And you know, by the end, they're fully engaged and they've imagined this world. And you know, I love having chats with them afterwards because uh, you know, in one version of the unbuilt room, there, there's a, a door. And I never say what color the door is. And then at the end, and I'm just chatting with them in the bar after something. I say, hey, what color is that door? And everyone tells me exactly what color the door was. Yeah. Because they, they are working to, to to bring that world to life with you. It's it's much I, I I think it's closer to 
uh, literature than cinema. Cinema is great at showing you a highly detailed vision, and that's fantastic, and you can get incredible depth of, of, of worlds that, you know, you think about Blade Runner or something like that, and you think, wow, it's all shown to you wonderfully. Um, and in literature, the, the, the detail, the writing can be just as deep, but you have to work to fill it in, to make it in your brain. It's not just being mm -hmm. kind of fed to your eyes. So it's much more like that. And it's even more engaging if you leave the audience a little bit of room to fill it in. And like I was saying, when it's live like this, you, they can't flip back over the page and go, what, the, what was that? How was that described? You just get it. And you can only take in a certain amount. So yeah. we use repetition a lot. As you move around these worlds, you hear that room six or seven times as you move back and forth through it. And that helps to, 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 to concrete it. Yeah, and I think you're playful in the way that you that you talk to the audience. So when you come back into the room, both you and Zoe, um, at one point when you return to the room, go you see this object, it looks familiar. And and that's that gets a little bit of a laugh. And um, there are a couple of comments uh, through it that are, are obviously there woven in to, to make sure that there are kind of light humour yeah. throughout it. And it's I think that's to important yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think that's good. It looks like you're enjoying it too and enjoying where it goes. But I'm guessing it must get frustrating as well sometimes where audiences, they could just go around and around in a circle and never well, find a clue. Now, I've only done House Repeated twice so yeah. far, so I'm speaking mostly about Unbuilt Room. Um, well, first of all, both of them are really fun. Mm. You know, before the, you know, In that moment before the audience comes in, I always have this little kind of sense of, I get to play a game again. Which yeah, is great. And and the, the audience are the people that I'm playing with. We're, we're doing it together, and it's really fun. Um, I don't get frustrated. Uh, we've built in things into the game structure to try to uh, minimize the likelihood that they will just go around in circles. Mm. And even though it's highly structured, and we don't really improvise. Uh, you can nudge. You know, no, no, you really you need to go east now. You can you can kind of do that a little bit. Yeah. And eventually they catch on. And one of the nice things about the bigger game is that you have that many more brains in the room to to remember where things are, to think, oh, we should get the thing so we can get do it. Ah, and and you always have some people who are good at puzzles but terrible at directions, and some people who are great at directions but have no memory. Yeah. Some, you know, and when you have a larger group, the team can, can coalesce better, and everyone can work together. And that's why we really make a point at the beginning to, to say, talk to each other. You're yeah. working as a team, talk to each other. The worst games are when people sit in stony silence – and then get frustrated because they didn't their their partner didn't do what they would have done. They, they, well, they they you know, yeah. and uh, and in the early days when we were still figuring out how the unbuilt room really works, we didn't emphasize the talk to each other. We didn't say don't talk to each other, but people still carry these social conventions. You go to the theater, you shut up. Yeah, you know, you sit unless it's a panto, in which case you can say a couple of things. 
You know, there's a, those, those set call and response mm. traditional lines. But apart from that, you laugh, you applaud at the end, that, and you do not make any noise. So even if the lighting is different and we're just sitting in a circle rather than a traditional end on proscenium arch thing, still, you know, I bought a ticket to this. I'm, you know, I'm going to be quiet. Uh, and it's it's the context you perform in it is very interesting because we do some in theaters and art galleries, but also festivals, family festivals. We did Latitude this year. Yeah, it's a great and, festival. Yeah, and you get a very different crowd. Uh, so, and and the the amount of sort of focus is different. So for the the, the chin strokey art audience, it can be a little bit more serious. But for the festivals. As particularly the family festivals where you might have a seven-year-old in there. Yeah. You know, you lighten it up a little bit. You do a bit of a tutorial at the beginning. So I might say this and it might go like that. And you, so you're trying to find in each context what is going to make this audience have a good experience, whether it's they're looking for something thoughtful or looking for something just fun and entertaining. Mm. It's all in there. It's just how... We should probably mention how this is different from Unbuilt Room because we've talked a lot about sort of the first two-thirds of A House Repeated, which is basically a large-scale Unbuilt Room. Yeah. Uh, but then it it changes. Mm -hmm. And um, we do a lot in the middle with af after you, both teams have reached a certain point in the exploration, they've made it past a few barriers and made it to a certain point. And then the teams are interact with each other. Yeah. And... At that point, we've the you know, Zoe, the other performer, and I, we have set up certain um, sort of ways uh, of, of interacting. There's certain ways that we're going to speak, but at that point, we try to just get out of the way and let the two teams interact with each other. You've explored this much. You've found your way through the world. Hey, there's somebody else here. What are you going to do with them? Yeah. And then you just let it go. Yeah. And we, we tested out um, when we were developing this this show from the, the little show. We, we did a bunch of experiments here uh, a year ago. Some of those were hilarious and what the people did. I mean, actually, tonight, I think uh, they, they one group tried to kiss the other group, and another group took their clothes off. Yeah, the other group put their clothes back on. Yeah. Because there's license, it's imaginary, there's license to do whatever you want. Yeah. You know? So it's really fun to watch the two groups of, of actual people looking at each other, deciding what their imaginary avatar is going to do to that other imaginary avatar. Mm. Um, and then, once we make it sort of past that moment, <coughs> then the third section is uh, really, it, it was really inspired by this place because, as I'm sure you know, Earlier in, in this year, in 2015, uh, BAC's Grand Hall burned down. Mm -hmm. So the back half of this building is basically gone. And they've got some fantastic plans to, to rebuild and improve, and, and that's going to be very cool. But them commissioning a house repeated based on the building, uh, you know, I had a, a great time making the, the two worlds or the sort of linked world for the two teams to explore all based on this place with some imaginary offshoots. And that was really yeah. fun. But the grand hall, the big you know, bit at the back that's not there anymore is, is sort of just made its presence felt. And it made me think, in addition to being explorers, 
can the audience become builders? Yeah. And that becomes the whole last bit of the show where the audience builds new you build new places. They've just spent all the time exploring new places. Then they've gotten together with, other, with this other person, and now they are making new places as they go. One of the things that that all of these shows do is build a structure, mm. and then we can understand back and let the audience go. So you can say whatever you want. Only certain things will progress through the building and overcome obstacles. But if you want to say... I want to take off my clothes and dance. Okay, that's fine. And if you want to go further than that and build a room out of flesh with the lolly like they did tonight, that's fine. That's fine. It's it's up to you, and it's just going to come back to you. We're just sort of the the, the conduit for it. The uh, we we make the structure, and you fill it in. So that was Seth and his show, A House Repeated. I really enjoyed it. It's good fun. So if it's coming to a venue near you, go check it out. So that's all we've got time for this week. If you did like this show, then check out create-hub.com. It's a website where there are stories by people working in the creative and cultural industries discussing actually how they're using technology. And you can also find my email address over there and give feedback on this show. Your feedback is really helpful. We are trying our best here, um, but if we can improve it in any way, then let us know. Next time on Technique. The danger is that you can look at the technology and go, oh my goodness me, that does this, that and the other. Let me make something around that rather than this is what I want to make. Are there any tools out there that can help me achieve this? Oh my God, yes, maybe electronics can. Richard Adams on Art Practice with Fidian Warman and Debbie Davies. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first Technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.